We are in Luke chapter 6 from verse 17. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's lay a bit of groundwork first. Um, <clears throat> as I've mentioned before, Luke sometimes places events in logical order, not necessarily chronological order. The passage before verse 17, <clears throat> he chooses his 12 disciples. Now we know we haven't actually done that passage. The reason is because in chapter 19, uh, in chapter 9, he commissions them, he empowers them, and sends them out. But in the book of Matthew, he chooses them and commissions them at the same time after the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Perhaps Luke wanted us to know who the twelve were before the sermon because they would be the ones to preach it as they went out. They would be the ones to lead by example. <clears throat> they would be the ones to listen the most intently and meditate on Jesus' words most attentively than anyone else there. This sermon served as almost a manifesto of Christ's ministry. So that's the reason I believe Luke mentions their names before this message, and that's why when we get to chapter 9, we'll come back to this. But for the sake of today's message, we're going to start with the sermon. It says that <clears throat> he had come down from a mountain, and people from literally all over the country, Luke um, mentions people uh, as far as uh, the Greek world, uh, coming to see him, this was not just Jews. It was a huge, huge crowd of not just his followers, but also many other people <clears throat> came to hear him. Said that he healed them and he spoke and he taught them. In verse 20, we read what he says. With that handled, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you have a reason in your life to be happy? So remember, this is a church. I'm not a, I'm not a motivational speaker. So think on that before you answer to yourself. Perhaps you thought initially family, friends, loved ones, those are all great things to take joy in and be happy about. Perhaps um, material blessings, financial security. Financial security is certainly not something to be sad about, right? Perhaps in your lifetime, you experienced a life or death situation and you're just happy to be alive, to be around. <clears throat> when the Bible defines blessing, 
Blessing is when we find our joy in the things of the Lord, when we have a reason to be happy in who the Lord is and what he has done, that's called a blessing. Now, we've all heard of the Beatitudes, right, from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. I'm, I'm sure as soon as I said that, it, it jogged something in our minds, most of us. What does that word even mean, Beatitudes? The word is actually a Latin word. Uh, I'm not pronouncing this right, beatitudo, and it means blessedness. So in other words, what reason do believers have to be happy, to be blessed? As I said before, we do not blindly believe. It's not the same thing as faith. Be happy because I said so. No. It's faith in what we know to be true and real. Just as a believer has cause to be happy, unfortunately, so the rebellious and the unbelieving world has cause for great concern. Woe unto you, Jesus says in this passage, which we'll get to now. The word means great sorrow or distress. You have reason to be distressed. So unlike the Beatitudes in Matthew, where you can almost zoom in one verse at a time, uh, and if you want, there's uh, a youth devotional that Krulin uh, writes um, on our website, um, and she's going through the Beatitudes in Matthew. If you want a bit more insight into that, it's... I recommend that. <clears throat> but where Luke um, goes into great detail in this list of blessings, um, sorry, Matthew, <clears throat> Luke chooses the, the blessings that correlate with the list of woes that Jesus said right after. And he, he forces us almost, or the context rather demands that we step back and we look at it as a whole, or at least in parallel. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's read from verse 17 to 26 together. He came down from them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great crowd of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear and be healed of their diseases, including those who were vexed by unclean spirits, and they were healed. The whole crowd tried to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. He lifted up his eyes and his disciples and said, Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they separate you from their company and insult you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers treated the prophets. Woe to you who are filled, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers spoke of the false prophets. Dear Lord, I pray this morning that we may be edified and grow in this message and learn to identify and appreciate the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Amen. So, blessed are those who... Let's go down it one by one, briefly discuss it, as we um, then look to the parallel of that. To be blessed, as I said, is in a sense to be happy. In other words, a reason to be happy or to rejoice because Jesus gives us plenty reason. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at the three points. Blessed are you who are poor, who hunger, and who weep. To be poor in what sense? A commenter, um, it goes to show that commentary isn't infallible. <laughs> um, he said, well, the needy have always been more receptive to the gospel, and that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, whether that's true or not, that's certainly, I don't think, what he meant here. We know this from Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the same thing. So we know the context of it. We know what he's talking about. To be poor in spirit is to be spiritually bankrupt. No money in the account to pay off your debt. Have you ever, has your car ever stopped without petrol in the side of a desolate road, no signal, no um, petrol station for the next 100 kilometers. What am I going to do? There's, there's nothing that I can do to get out of this situation. And you, and you just hope for someone to come driving by. You place your hope in someone else to, to be saved. That's, that's exactly the kind of thinking that we have in our Christian faith, to realize our depravity, spiritually speaking, when it comes to the debt that we owe God, being spiritually rock bottom is actually a good place to be. It keeps us dependent on God. 
It keeps us humble. And pride can lead to many terrible sins. It grows a servant's heart in us. It continuously allows us to usher others before ourselves to go ahead of us. It brings us to a place of repentance for our sins, knowing that we will never be deserving of God's goodness and grace, yet he shows it anyway. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, in Matthew 20, Jesus speaking about a parable where this one worked the entire day and this one came an hour before the shift ends and they both received the same wages. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, he says, Do I not have the right to do as I please with what is mine? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's good to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger. Uh, are we talking about a cooked meal every night? No. Again in Matthew, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is so much injustice and evil in the world. We need only to turn on the television. We faff on about people being offended about using the wrong gender pronoun. When people are starving to death in civil wars in North Africa, Human rights violations are committed on a daily basis in North Korea. Corruption in the government, in every democracy in the world, and in the private sectors. Doesn't it make you hungry to see justice done? You know that feeling, right? We know the feeling of dying of thirst, <laughs> we've worked uh, a hard day in the garden or, or on a shift or we've done hard labor and, and all you want is just a cold glass of water. And when you get it, you drink it and you gulp it down, what do you feel? Satisfaction. We yearned for that. And the Lord said, don't worry you will be filled. The day will come when justice is done. Those who mourn, they're talking about someone weeping over losing a loved one? Maybe, but from the context, continuing the theme of fulfilling spiritual needs, I think it's talking about our grief over our sin and the sin of this world, the fallen state of creation and the death that we experience because of it. When we mourn, we feel sorrow over someone that we've lost. 
and we weep. Here are a couple of references. In Revelations chapter 7, verse 17, the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isaiah 61, verse 1, to proclaim the year of the Lord, he's saying, Isaiah, me, I've been commissioned to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord, the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. We die because of the penalty of sin. Death was not meant to be part of this creation. It was a consequence of sin. We shouldn't hope for it. We should mourn when people die. Yes, we shouldn't fear death because we know we, we have eternal life in Christ, and that's a good thing. But it's not something that's casually dismissed. We should recognize the sin of the world and our sin nature in ourselves and others. And that the ultimate end is death. Who sitting here wouldn't drop everything that they were holding if they saw someone about to fall off a cliff or if they saw someone walking into oncoming traffic? <clears throat> Hopefully, we would instinctively try and save that person. You're about to die. Why are we so casual sometimes and careless <clears throat> when we see family and friends trading a broad and winding road to hell? And just fill us with sadness and grief sometimes if it does and we are blessed. We have cause to be happy because God will one day remove that penalty from the creation, new heaven and new earth, where there is no death. We never have to mourn loss again. Jesus, when he looked at his people in the city of Jerusalem, he wept. It's good to mourn. <clears throat> and then it says, fourthly, those who are hated for Jesus' sake. This is an interesting one. Evangelical throughout history have been trying to make the gospel as palpable, as user-friendly as possible, while others on the other extreme have enjoyed applying the searing sting of a good old turn-and-burn message, almost uh, sadistically, you know, they 
They enjoy seeing people squirm. <laughs> in truth, the gospel is offensive in many regards. Before the Reformation, there were many people who spoke out against the authority of the Pope, for example, and they were branded as heretics. They were called evil. They were burnt at the stake. Today's missionaries going into the Middle East or China, to name a few, experience immense persecution. They are called evil. According to the laws and beliefs of that society, when you stand up for your beliefs, when we stand up for our belief in the workplace, among our colleagues, when we do business honestly and we say, no, we're not going to offer a bribe or accept a bribe, when we... <clears throat> When we decline to have a second drink at the work function or a family celebration, say, well, I want to get home early. There's church tomorrow. And you're called a stick in the mud. When you stand for what you believe and you share the gospel openly and honestly in love, don't be surprised when people get offended. <clears throat> he goes on and he compares, parallels these verses with their opposites. But woe to you who are rich, materially rich, no. Rich with self-sufficiency. Never mistake material blessings as a sign of God's favor. If, if you are well off, it doesn't mean God hates you. But the two are not connected. Sometimes it is linked to physical wealth because with more to lose there is an idea that um, in a worldly sense there's less that we're willing to sacrifice but it's not for us to make that judgment we are talking about being spiritually bloated the problem with all other world religions that emphasize work salvation. That's the problem. For a Christian, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. There's many examples in Scripture where the Lord uses wealthy men to accomplish his, his ends. That's not what we're talking about. The problem is, in all other religions where there's work salvation, where you do something to earn God's favor, Um, because we go out and we work to earn money 
and then that money is rightfully ours because we put in the work to get it. We apply the same logic to work salvation. We do this to earn our salvation, therefore we are entitled to it. And therefore we open up a lot of room for pride and self-sufficiency. We know if we compare it to being poor in the spirit, how damaging that this can be. I'm reminded of the story in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 16, Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? That's what he asked Jesus. And as you know, the story ends with him leaving, saddened, <laughs> because he was not willing to give up what Jesus asked him to give up. We don't have enough. We can never do enough. We can never give enough. And if we think we do, we become rich in our own self-sufficiency. Woe unto us. We are filled or... Uh, woe unto those who are filled with evil and unrighteousness. If we hunger for righteousness, woe unto those that are filled with it, for, filled with unrighteousness, the opposite. It stands to reason, then there are some that takes joy in doing evil. To be filled with the indulgences of this world, living selfishly only for their own personal happiness, to seek to satisfy their senses and their body and their heart, never bothering to look back, because if they did, they would see their body count, the collateral damage that they have caused, the broken hearts, the burnt bridges people that they have hurt. It says, one day they will hunger for their own justice, for mercy to be shown to them, and the Lord will give none. Those that laugh because of sin, instead of mourning the fallen state of creation, and the reality of death, there are those who make a living from it, those who rely on it. <clears throat> and lastly, spoken well of, those who are spoken well of by this world. Again, if there are those who hate us for our testimony in Christ, then it stands to reason that there are those who would be praised for their testimony against Christ. <clears throat> Pop culture is culture designed to appeal to the greatest number of people. That's not necessarily a bad thing, <clears throat> but they boil cultural ideas like humor, courtship, music, celebration, traditions. They boil all these things down to the most common denominator 
to appeal to as many people as possible. That's the definition of pop culture, popular culture. With that comes popular opinion, doesn't it? Car companies, for example, I don't know if you know this, big companies like BMW and Mercedes <clears throat> during um, Gay Pride Month, <clears throat> all of their social media accounts like Twitter and Facebook, they had uh, changed their, their brand logo uh, and designed it with the, the rainbow colors of, of the, the gay pride symbol. <clears throat> but they only did it in Western countries. BMW and Mercedes and Coca-Cola, all of their social media accounts in China and uh, the Arab nations did not. They kept the same logo. <clears throat> just about popular opinion. I'm not saying don't go and buy Coca-Cola. I'm just saying the world will always seek approval to seek the, the lowest common denominator to appeal to as many people as possible. Even if you say one thing to this person and another thing to this person, as long as they both approve. The problem comes when the church tries to follow suit, to appeal to the majority. The problem comes when individuals compromise clear doctrinal teaching, when preachers tell a watered-down, flavored gospel. Of course, they're spoken well of. They say exactly what you want to hear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the world, that's us. But according to their own desires, having itching ears, they will heap unto themselves teachers. Woe unto those who are spoken well of. Not objectively, of course, <clears throat> but by the world's standards. So history repeats itself. When we get down to the last two parallel lines. Your fathers have done to the prophets hated them and reviled them. Many prophets, if you know, were martyred. They were killed off. Isaiah was sawn in half. But it also says, you have spoken well of the false prophets. According to the law, if a prophet was found to be false, they were to be put to death. Their life was, was to be forfeit. Jesus implying, well, that's not what happened. People said, I like what you're saying. Keep on saying it. The problem with this <clears throat> is that it impacts directly the glory of God. For someone to stand in front 
of a hungry, spiritually poor, desperate people and use false hope to extort them and cheat them. Whether it be a prophet of old or the latest trending celebrity faith healer, woe unto you for doing so directly takes from the glory of God. And you and they have a lot to be worried about. We all stand as a testimony of the majesty and glory of God as believers. Me, I'm a depraved, sinful, undeserving human being. <clears throat> but God loves me. He saved me by his grace. And you know what? I have reason to be happy. I am blessed. I have reason to rejoice, as it says, rejoice. I have a question for you. Do you have a reason to be happy? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, you are blessed. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, he suffered and died for our sins and rose again and conquered and paid the penalty of death and sits at the right hand of the Father, that we can do nothing in and of ourselves to earn a drop of righteousness, but God in love offers it to whoever would repent and believe. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for these mighty words. I pray that it pierces us and it convicts us to see the many blessings in our lives, to lift up our eyes from our immediate sorrow and see the eternal joys and the eternal happiness that we can have in the things that you have done and who you are, truly, we are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Please stand for our final hymn, um, and then...